everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Marriage is Tougher Than Woodpecker Lips podcast. This is Brian. And I'm Paul. We'd like to welcome you to a community meant for the men of the world to share our thoughts and perspectives on marriage. We can learn from each other's experiences and help each other be better husbands. Now, let's get right into the show. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we are going to talk about the topic of perseverance in marriage. We have our good friend, Justin Bradshaw, on the pod, and he's just going to give us his him and his wife's origin story and then talk about just working through many challenges of marriage or life challenges while being married. So, Justin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, man. Glad to be here. So I'm just going to get it started just by introducing you, asking you some questions so everyone gets to know you. But as we jump in, if you can just tell us who is Justin. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a husband. I'm a father of four. I work for a church and I run a free store for young families. And I enjoy all sorts of things like music and carpentry and sports and yeah, middle-aged, I suppose. That's what they tell me. Are they? You're not 40. Yeah, I am. Oh, you are 40. <laughs> I'm almost 40 and a half. Thank you very much. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I have, yeah, I've known my wife for a long time. I've known Jesus even longer. And together we're trying to make it work, all three of us. That's hilarious. Speaking of your wife and knowing her longer, how long have you guys been married? We've been married 16 years. We met in middle school, though. So that was more than 16 years ago. We started dating in high school. You want the rest of it right now? We can stop. Yeah, so we've been married 16 years. <laughs> I know it's a part of your story, which you'll talk about later, yeah. but just generally questions that we ask. Yeah. How long did you date before you proposed? Yeah, that's an interesting question. We dated three months before I proposed the last time we dated. So it was seven years from the time we started dating to the time we got engaged. No, seven years from when we started dating to when we got married. And we were engaged for a year. But most recent time we dated before we got engaged was three months. Because it was it. By that point, we knew what we were doing. Yeah. All right. So just a couple. <laughs> what What is the best thing about being married? Oh, the best thing about married, being married is that you have someone to do life with. I actually like my wife, so that's cool. And most of the days she likes me. And so I think that's the best part of being married is that not just having a, a friend to do life with, but having your best friend to do life with and someone who knows you better than anybody else on the planet and sometimes knows you better than you know yourself. And it's just, yeah, that the thing that the one person in the world that gets you the most is also for you and for your family. And that that's probably the thing that makes uh, marriage work is that at the end of the day, if you're on the same team, you'll be all right. So we had to learn that the hard way, though. A couple more. What's your favorite characteristic or characteristics about your wife? Man, my wife is a very capable woman. She is, this might not sound all that extravagant or sexy, but she's a fantastic administrator. And what, how that plays out is that my life is not chaotic. Our family's life, we've got four kids. My wife and I both work full time. And having somebody that knows what's going on is really helpful. And it's a way that she loves our family. She provides for our family in all sorts of ways that I think a calendar doesn't just take care of. And yeah, she is, she's a fantastic caregiver and she's smart. She takes care of all of us really well. And she's tenacious. If, uh, if you're in her corner, she's got your back all day long. But if you cross her, watch out. And I like it. Because as, as messy as our story, I'm in her corner and she's in mine. So it's good. Yeah, that's awesome. Remind me never to <laughs> consider that a shot across the bow. <laughs> I don't remember that. She's still the MVP. That's right. So this, I'm going to ask you this for the question's sake, but we can come back to this later as mm -hmm. well. But what is a challenge or what has challenged you in being married or within your marriage? Yeah, what has challenged me personally in being married is probably similar to what anybody would say to that question is I'm still selfish. I'm still me. I still want to be selfish. And that's just not going to fly quite as much as it used to. Yeah, obviously 
we are two different people. And in fact, my wife and I, if you look at any personality profile, we are exact opposites. On paper, we probably shouldn't be making it work. People would be like, oh yeah, I see why that, that didn't work out. But uh, yeah, I think to the flip side of that, opposites attract. But we are opposites in a lot of ways. We don't see eye to eye on everything like any couple and we can be stubborn. So I hear you. I hear you. And I think what is a nugget that you could tell anyone that either is married or about to be married, just what advice would you give them about being married? Go to counseling. Oh. I, I laugh about it, but I think counseling would make a really good wedding present. Like maybe six months in, one year in, just go get checked out. But beyond that, I think the, the broader way to answer that question is allow other people to speak into your marriage and make the hard choices together in your marriage. Not like the hard choices about where you're going to dinner or where to put the garbage can or stuff like that, but the hard choices about staying in your marriage. Yeah. And I, I can get into more of that in a bit, but no, that's good. Do you have anything else, Brian? Yeah. Last one I have for you is what was your example of marriage? Yeah. Both Aaron and I come from families where both of our parents are still married to each other. Beyond that, our extended family has a lot of about half of the families in our extended family are divorced or if folks have passed away. And we both grew up in churches. And so we had uh, a pretty, pretty good models for at least people staying married. I think for both of us, both of our respective parents have some work to do in emotional health in different ways. And so when we, it wasn't really until we got married that we realized oh, we fight differently. We're coming into this relationship fighting differently, thinking what about what matters as far as time and energy and what do we do together and what we don't do together and those kinds of things. I think every couple probably has to figure that out when they either start dating or even get married. But on the whole, we've got the model of marriages that are very committed to each other, whether they're super marriages or not, they are committed to each other. And so for us, even before we got married, we committed to each other that divorce wasn't going to be an option. We just put it on the table in our premarital counseling. And yeah, that's been tested for sure. But that's the thing that we're like, we promised this to each other. So we're, we're going to stay committed. That's good. That's real good. So at this time, we'll just continue <laughs> this conversation yeah. about perseverance in marriage. And we'll give you the floor. Guys, as you listen to this, you'll hear this story. And Justin's going to give us a little bit of his story. And Brian and I are just going to ask questions as bystanders and people that are married and people that have gone through being in relationships and ask questions about that. And hopefully it will resonate with uh, with you guys and you can learn something. Do you have anything to say, Brian, before he goes? No, I'm excited to hear this story. It's been built up quite a bit. So the floor is yours, Justin. Uh, yeah, like I said, my wife and I met in middle school and we went to high school together and started dating our junior year in the fall of our junior year. And then we ended up going to college at the same place and not just going to college at the same place. She lived in the dorm that I did, uh, a floor above me. And she hated college life and I didn't. I really liked it. And at the end of our first semester, freshman year, she managed to not have any finals. And she went home a week earlier than I did. We had been, we went to a small college, small university. And so we had gotten involved in some of the same things. I, I ran cross country. So I had some friends that she didn't have from that. And then she rushed a sorority. So obviously I knew some of those gals wasn't as tight as she was, but, but we were involved in this, got involved in the same ministry. And so by the end, that first end of the first semester, we had this collective college experience with a lot of the same friends, but we certainly had our own thing going on as well. And so she went home a week earlier than I did and then I got sick and I didn't really know how sick she was, which was odd because we'd been together for two years and it was Christmas and we, our parents live three miles apart from each other. And, but for whatever reason, she got really sick. She got a, had a virus and uh, fluid filled up around her heart and uh, she probably could have died, but she didn't. And so when it was time to go back to school, her doctors didn't want her going back right away. And so I went back and all of a sudden I was living sort of single life. Like this is before cell phones. There's that. 
We did have phones. It wasn't like we were Amish or anything like that. But so she took more than a month to get back on campus. And so by the time she got back full time, I was like, I think I want to be single. And I broke her heart. She gets back on campus. We break up. And then we spent the rest of that semester trying to figure out how not to do life with each other because we had been doing it for two years and, and we went to college together and we live in the same building. And so the rest of that semester was hard. We were off again, off on again. And then when we came back home for the summer, she her heart was just kind of ripped to shreds. And so she gave me a, a very understandable ultimatum was either we start dating and like we're committed to this or we're not friends. And I was like, I don't want to be alone all summer. So let's date because that'll solve it. And so that was a hard summer, but we we were together that summer. And, and pretty much as soon as we got back to school, our sophomore year, we broke up for a couple of years and, and dated other people. But just for just to give you context, Paul's already shaking his head because he knows how this story goes. I dated a girl that was her Bible study leader. And then the girl I dated my junior year was her little in her sorority. And like I said, it was a really small school. We didn't, there weren't a lot, of, there weren't a lot of fish in that pond. And then by our senior year, I had this idea in my head that I should get married when I graduate. I don't know where I got that idea. I went to college because I thought I should. I didn't realize that you go to college for all sorts of other reasons. I just thought I should, so I did. I thought I would get married someday, so I thought I should do that right after I graduated. And the whole time Aaron is saying, hey, I'm still here. And I'm like, I keep coming back to Aaron. There's gotta be something there. And so we started dating again our senior year dated probably six or seven months. I bought a ring. I didn't give it to her. And when I started uh, having to make payments on it, I was like, I'm not ready to be married. So I returned the ring and broke up with her because that makes a lot of sense. And for about 10 minutes, she wouldn't let me break up with her. I was stuck and I it was like, it was this mental exercise of trying to figure out how we were going to make a one person relationship work. But she relented. And two weeks later, we graduated. We're not together, but the very next day we got in the car together and drove to Virginia Beach because we had already committed to being part of this summer missions project together for six weeks in Virginia Beach. And so while we were there, we fought like crazy to the point that most people there thought we were just like by the intensity of our in encounters, if you will. And some folks that were mentoring each of us independently, I think they got together and said, okay, here's what you guys need to do. We know neither one of you have a job to go back to. You're both moving in back in with your respective parents, but you all need some time apart from each other. Don't have any contact with each other once you get back to get back home. And when we left that missions thing, we probably took a month and a half to say goodbye to each other, if you will. And uh, which also probably was too long. And then took some serious time apart and it was probably Four months later, we actually, it just ha by happenstance ran into each other. It happened again a month and a half later or so, and probably six months after that first encounter, we got together intentionally and we're both saying, hey, we're still, are we going to try this one more time? And so we weren't sure. We knew that if we were going to date again, it was going to be, it was going to be so that we could get married and we were it for each other. And so we Wanted to obviously take that seriously because we had a, a lot of baggage in our dating history and it took about a month and a half and talked about it with our parents and prayed about it and decided that's what we were, we thought God was leading us to. And so we dated for three months. We got engaged. So for the people out there and who's not keeping track, how many times did you break up and get back? I think four. Yeah. I think we've been to, I think this is our fourth time together okay and so the two other people that you mentioned they're the only people that you dated in that time or you're uh -huh. just okay yeah did she date <laughs> did she date anyone in the time at a school yeah she dated i think she dated one one or two other guys oh. during that time as well okay and she's not quite as seriously she but, still yeah. settled on the yeah. best option and amazingly <laughs> enough okay yeah wow yeah that's a lot pause brian do you have any do you have any questions for that yeah self-admittedly y'all were a mess before you got married and i think my question yeah. is that history you had but before you got married 
Is that something you felt like you've needed to separate or has it made your relationship stronger? I think as I tell the next 16 years of the story real quick, you'll discover that it, what it did was it set for us a shaky foundation. We had this piece of it where we knew we wanted to be together. We just didn't know how to do it like consistently. Well, she knew. Apparently you didn't know. Yeah. So <laughs> the, the common denominator in not knowing was me. She knew how to stay together and give it a shot consistently. Yeah. But you weren't given that opportunity based on the choices that you made. Yeah. Yeah, and that was some of my own stuff that I learned later about how I, some of that's my my personality. Like, I like new things. I like to move on to new things. I, I sometimes think I have ADHD, and I'm like, ooh, something shiny over there. But it, what it amounted to in dating was if I was getting attention from somewhere else, not necessarily even in competition with Aaron, I was just like, oh, what's that over there? And so one of the things that I've obviously had to learn while being married is just because something is over there or something or someone is even attractive doesn't mean I need to be attracted to them. And so that was something that I think played itself out when we were dating, but I wouldn't have been able to put words to it. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So maybe your, your continuation of the story will help answer this question, but I, I'm curious how it is that you were able to shore up your foundation. Yeah. Counseling for sure. That's it. Yeah. So should I just keep yeah, this going? going? Yeah. Keep, Brian, do you have anything else? Okay. Yeah. The short answer to your question, Brian, is counseling. But so we got engaged and then a week later I moved to Indiana. So this is the first time in our relationship that we had done anything long distance. And that was a miserable year because I knew I wasn't going to live in Indiana. We were going to live here in Ohio. And the whole year... I was basically in two different places uh, mentally, but that was the year we, we were engaged for an entire year. And for nine months of that, I was living in Indiana. And right before we got married, I got a job at a church. Erin had been working at a preschool that was attached to that church for two years. And so she wanted to get into the public school system. And so this was our plan. But right before we got married, she quits her job there. And then we get married and go on our honeymoon and come back and that's we got married right at the end of july and so the school year public school year is about to start when we get back from our honeymoon and miraculously she gets in an interview and gets a job at two different schools teaching kindergarten at two different schools two days before the school year starts so i've just started a job she's quit her job we get married she gets a brand new job that's very stressful the first couple weeks at least because she's in two different buildings and this new environment, all of that. And then two months after we get married, I uncover something in where I worked. And so I'm like, I need to leave this environment. So I quit my job. And in the in the midst of all of that, we move in together because we hadn't lived together before we got married. So we move in together and we're figuring that whole thing out. And that's how we started marriage. So just a crazy start. So basically everything that any insurance or heavy commitment financial institution allows you to amend happened to you. So job loss, job start, change of status as far as marriage and uh, living situation, all these things that in life can happen in a stage happen to you in the span of three months. Three months. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, and put, for those that aren't teachers, but for those of you that have kids that are school age, just think about that transition into school and then think of that <laughs> as a teacher who's never taught before and never having that chance to start like being, oh, yeah, you now have a class in two days. So, so just think of that and then just multiply that upon all the other living situations yeah. that happen to them. That's crazy. I think the only thing that would have made that time more stressful is if we had tried to put up wallpaper because I've heard that's terrible. Yeah. So that's how we started our marriage. And we just went with it. We didn't know any different, but it was obviously pretty stressful. I eventually landed a uh, more stable job but it in that job took me all over the country for a year and a half which was fine we didn't have kids it was still an adjustment for us but so i was traveling a lot and then we knew we wanted to start a family after a couple of years of being married and so we tried to get pregnant and had relative success in in doing that quickly and, and at the about the same time we we're like 
let's buy a house. We we did all of that in the first, I guess we had been married about three years before we did did that adventure. So looking looking back on that for that time frame, how would you say your marriage was looking back now on that space? I don't know if it's uh, just PTSD that I don't remember a lot of it. <laughs> it seems like a whirlwind in the yeah. story, but. Yeah, it, it really was. I think those first couple of years in marriage were tricky because we lived so close to our parents. And so we were trying to figure out how to have our own lives, but we were also very connected to our families. We're both the oldest of our siblings. So that's a dynamic in the mix as well. But we were trying to establish ourselves and establish what kind of life we thought we wanted or, or what we thought God had, you know, the vision for our family that God has, had given us. And so we were starting to make strides in that direction. But yeah, I don't remember I don't remember a lot of just the two of them. And maybe that's what kids will do to you. But Fair. Yeah. So we had our, our oldest. Our oldest is now 13. And we're loving life as parents of one kid. I, was, I changed jobs again and came on staff at our church. And as part of what our church is involved in, I went on a missions trip the following year. And so at this point, my daughter's one. went on a missions trip and came back just a little bit sick. Didn't think anything of it for a while, but then I got worse and worse. And six months later, I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is basically ulcers in your large intestine, which is terribly painful. And for a lot of people, it can be controlled by medicine. But for me, it didn't work out that way. And so I just got worse and worse. I had some issues with my kidneys. And so from a, a year almost to the day from when I first got sick, I wound up in the hospital just because I was so dehydrated. In the midst of all of that, our daughter's getting a little bit older. She's two. We knew we wanted to have more kids and we wanted them to be fairly close in age, two or three years apart. And we're like, well, is now the time we need to try to do this again? And we did. And thankfully, we were able to get pregnant pretty easily again. We actually conceived twins and we, we miscarried one of them pretty early in the pregnancy. But that was another piece uh, of the puzzle. I was in, in and out of the hospital a couple of times just because I was so dehydrated and so sick. And then 14 months after I originally got sick, I had some pretty major surgery to remove my colon and then more complications. And I was basically sick, really sick for a year. And then for the next year, I was having surgery. I had seven surgeries through that time. And in the midst of it, we were pregnant we had a baby in between. We actually induced my son early, uh, two weeks early, because I had two major surgeries already scheduled for two weeks after his due date. So instead of taking a two-week-old to the hospital, because we were having, I was having all my surgeries up in Cleveland, we had him. And a month later, my in-laws, my mom, and both my wife and both my kids all lived in a hotel for a week while I had surgery. And so that was obviously a pretty trying time from start to finish because by the time I got all put back together, we had a three-year-old and a three-month. And my wife had been through taking care of me, taking care of a toddler, being pregnant, giving birth. And so understandably, at the by the time I got put back together, she was emotionally spent. So that was... <laughs> She's the real MVP. She man. is the real MVP. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, there's so much there. Number one... I just have to commend you because this man does not have a pronoun problem. I heard a lot of we's in there. You know, even for the things you know, that your your wife was going through, it, it was we. So I, I appreciate that. And that's something for especially newly married men out there to learn. When you do enter the sanctity of marriage, it, you do become we. And all those things you go through are our problem, not hers or his problem. And I think that it is just commendable that you had that picture going through those battles. Right, man. I think we need a, a sheesh button because this story is a, a roller coaster, man. And I guess referring back to the earlier part of your story, when she got sick, man, that came back around to you, and yeah. y'all got tested again. And it seems like maybe even a worse way. But man, I can't even imagine having gone through anything like that and having to keep my family together. That's that's wild. There's a funny moment when we got married when we we're doing our vows we did we got some good advice from the pastor that married us and he just told us like look the vows that everybody's been saying for thousands of years those are good enough 
You don't need to add to it. Don't promise things you you can't actually keep. And so we had very basic vows, the for better or worse, for richer or poorer, and sickness and health. And when we said for richer or poorer, we knew we were going to land in the poorer right, <laughs> right out the gate. And so there's we didn't have a video of our wedding. But if, if you listen to the audio, you can hear us laugh because we're like, that's going to be us. And we thought that was the only part of those vows that was going to like really impact us negatively. And we didn't know. We didn't know. We were we were young and didn't know. Yeah. So should I continue? Yeah. <laughs> you got anything else for me? No. I at think that point, that, that was a good point that Brian made. So yeah. 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 So Brian, to your point about us being together through it, we did learn some things through being sick that were really vital. Uh, we didn't know we were going to need them for the next part of our lives, but we learned some things even about the environment that we were in. So we learned that we could handle hard things, which is what every kindergarten teacher tells their students, like, you can do hard things. But we actually needed to know that for ourselves, that we could handle hard things. We were in a good church, so we had a good good support group around us, which was really helpful, obviously, through that time, but for what was coming next. And then that God would sustain us. And so our faith through that time was pretty integral as well. So like I said, I get done being sick, get all taken apart, put back together. My wife is understandably tanked. She's still working full time. And this kind of perfect storm of I'm feeling great about life, having just come through something and her having survived basically for the previous two years coincided with this really unfortunate thing happening in the next circle out. One of uh, A woman that I worked with at the time married two kids about our kid's age. All of a sudden, her husband up, no explanation, just I'm out and, and leaves her high and dry. And so in a genuine effort to care for our friend over the next however many months, this thing of that I talked about before, this thing of, oh, something's over here, that apparently hadn't been fixed in my life yet. And this other woman and I get wrapped up emotionally in an effort to end it. We end up crossing a physical boundary and kissing. And I managed to, at that point, my wife knew something was going on. She was even calling me out on it. My boss knew something was going on and couldn't put his finger on what, what was going on with his staff. And so when I would get asked about it, I would, that was my MO was to hide because I could be, I could manage this. I could figure something out. And I managed to lie about it for three whole days. I wasn't very, I wasn't as good as I thought. <laughs> and so after three days of not sleeping and not eating and just being eaten alive by my sin and my lie and my deception, I told my boss what was going on. And I told my wife what was going on and promptly went home from work and didn't come back. So I lost my job in the middle of that. I lived at a buddy's hole in the wall apartment for a couple of weeks and got kicked out of the house. And let's not forget, we've got a house and a wife and two young kids that are four and one at this point and made a real mess of things pretty quickly. And so got into counseling right away for myself. My Fortunately, my wife I had already started counseling for herself because because of all of what she had been through and she felt like she needed to talk to somebody else about it, which is great. So we got into counseling together. I started working a job. I remodeled homes. I was just trying to provide whatever I could for my family at that point. But over the next three and a half years, we did the work of restoring what was broken. And what was broken was a lot more than just what happened. And that's what we figured out from our kind of rocky dating past. Some of those foundations that we thought because we had been dating for so long on again and off again, we thought we, we had this like sure foundation and we didn't. It sounds ironic, but that mess of my life was, was one of the best things for our marriage because it forced us to be honest with where we were actually at. And we were willing to do the work. We were willing to stay committed to each other. And, and there were times where that wasn't the case. It didn't feel like the case. Even six months in, my wife was uh, questioning why we were still doing this. Because every week, if, if you're in counseling on a weekly basis, you got stuff going on. And it's hard work if you engage it. And it was just, a, it was just taxing on top of the fact that we're not healthy just come through all this stuff and we're not healthy and, and so about six months in my wife is Aaron was just done 
and questioning why we even got married in the first place. She felt like she had tricked me into marrying her, all sorts of different stuff. And it would it was like my one shining moment in counseling over three years. I, I was like, listen, it doesn't matter at this point why we got married. Who cares? That's all fairy tale nonsense. The fact is, we are now married. So let's start from this point and move forward. Let's build something together. Let's be Team Bradshaw and build something from here and see where it goes. And she was willing to do that. It was like we it was like I proposed all over again. In the middle of counseling. In the middle of counseling. Eight years into marriage. That's big, man. I like that. I think too many people try to live in that fairy tale. Whatever it is, it all looks different for us. But when you are chasing after something that isn't real, how can you really build anything? And I I find that probably far too many people do that. And it's not just marriage, but all the things that encompass within marriage, buying cars and houses and all these things that maybe you can't afford, but you've built it up so much in your mind that you think you have to have it. And and then even when you start out, like spending thousands and thousands of dollars on a day of getting married, it's, man, that just puts (laughs) a lot of things into perspective for me at least. Yeah. 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 We, she was willing to stick it out and, and so was I. And so we, we were in counseling. It progressively slowed down. It wasn't every week for three years, but we were in counseling for about three years. And amazingly enough, I was able to come back on the same church staff that I had left. We stayed a part of the church that we were in. That was incredibly difficult. It was almost more difficult than dealing with our own stuff together. Because when other people know why you lost your job and you walk back to that same door, imagine if you lost your job at like at Chase and all of your coworkers knew why, and then you came back and sat at your desk the next week. You didn't do anything there. You just sat there. And that's what being a part of our church felt like some weeks. We would even, like we're in the car on our way to church and we're asking ourselves, are we actually walking through that door this week? And we did every week. We didn't miss a Sunday, not because perfect attendance at church is what we were going for, but we, but because we knew that there was something better for us by engaging the hard thing about dealing with how we felt when we went there. And we had this belief that the church would somehow be better if we stayed in it. Uh, a lot of times, now I'm going to go. Now I'm going to go off on churches, but I think a lot of times people in churches don't want to be real about how challenging their lives are, and so they just go away. And that's not better for anybody. It's not better for anybody in the church for to not have to deal with your hard thing. That is that is a word <laughs> of all words. Wow. Yeah, because if we can't be broken in front of God and our friends who believe in that same God, then where are we actually going to be broken? We're not. We're just going to hide. And that was one of the things that was that was one of the things that was in my life that it was being directly challenged. Are you going to hide from this? I actually had somebody close to me tell me I didn't have to tell my siblings what I had done, and I was like, No, I do have to tell them this because hiding is how I got here. Yeah. I hit all of it and then blew up my life. I, I don't want to do that again. And, and then the other piece of it for me as a father of Jesus and, and somebody who's trying to bring glory to God is that if I hide this challenging part of my story, then I rob God of glory because he put all sorts of stuff back together. He, he mended all sorts of stuff. And if I don't tell this piece of my story, then he's just this cool guy that did some things in history instead of doing some really incredible things in my own life. Yeah. And before you move on, how did that go telling your siblings? It was, that was hard because they had known Aaron, like my youngest brother, he, I, so I'm the oldest of four and my youngest brother is seven years younger than me. And when Aaron and I first started dating, he was in fourth grade. Me and Aaron together was for the most part, all they knew. And we had been married for seven years by at that point. So it was some of my other siblings had all had had been married at that point. And so they're watching their older brother really mess up and threaten his marriage with kids, with a woman that they love as part of our family. And so it was challenging, but I was thankful that they also had our back collectively. They didn't necessarily take sides. I landed on one of their couches for a time, but Beyond that, they were in our corner. They could sympathize with Aaron, certainly, Mm -hmm. and they were mad at me, but they had our back, which is huge. So how did that work with her siblings? Yeah, similarly. 
actually. Her parents had her back. They said, whatever you want to do, we'll be okay with, which pissed me off, but I didn't really have a right to be mad at that point. I was just telling them that I had been unfaithful to their daughter. So they had the right to say whatever they wanted. And I just sat there and took it. But her, she has just one brother and, and he was similar to my siblings in that naturally they've got their own siblings back, but he wanted to see us work. And to be fair to my in-laws, they also wanted to see us work. They were just hurt in the moment. So yeah, we had the full support of our families to get right, which was big. Man, I had so many questions, but I think I'm just land on maybe just making a statement that I don't think it really matters so much what your example of marriage is. You have to make the choices that you want to be married and make the choices that keep that marriage healthy and keep you on the, the path of faith and keep you on a path of putting your family before yourself. And that's what I'm taking away from your story. Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, fantastic that you use the word choice because when we were when we were in counseling part one we rallied around this one word that was choose. We have we have a choice. Every day we have choices, big and small in our marriages and what we decided together that we were going to choose our marriage and our family over copping out because it was hard. And so that that really became this codifying word for us. And you're absolutely right. It is, it is a choice. And it's really interesting because you can choose to not do hard work. You can choose to ignore the pesky things in your marriage that kind of eat at you or you don't want to bring up because it's going to make the other person mad or whatever they are. But if you ignore them, they'll bite you. And so you have to choose to deal with them. But even more than that, you do. You have to choose to put your family and your spouse above yourself or else you're just going to lead to your own demise. True. No true word spoken. Shall you go on? Yeah, I can go on from there. Yeah, I came back on the staff that I was a part of previously and we're feeling good about what God has just brought us through. And we felt like our family wasn't complete. And so... Obviously, when we'd, we had our son, Ethan, our second, we had all this other stuff going on in life. And so we're like, we're totally done with kids. We got rid of all of our stuff to prove it that we were done. And But God restored our family and reminded us of the vision that he had given us even before we were married about adoption. It was part of the conversation. So we adopted our youngest daughter. And Jillian is biracial. Some of our kids have some developmental disabilities. And so that's a thing. And we are figuring it out. I think all of the things that have led us to today are preparing us in some ways not to be able to handle it. That's the tricky thing about life. I am not convinced that you are always handed things that you can handle. I'm actually more convinced that you are handed things in life that you cannot handle without God's help and the help of the community of faith. And so I think that's where we are as a family. Our house is nuts. We got a 13-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 5-year-old, and a two and a half year old It's loud. We try to have dinner together every night as a family. We pray together before meals because we want to stay together. We have, we have a, a marriage and a family that we think is worth fighting for, and so we're going to do it every day. But every day, it feels like we're fighting, if not with each other, for something. But I wouldn't have it any other way at this point. I'm too far in. Yeah. Apparently, you put your anchor down and that's what's happening. Yep. Oh, wow. Brian, I'll let you ask all the questions. I don't know, man. I, I think I'll... It's, uh, man. That's quite a ride, man. It's quite a ride. You And you've probably already said it, but I would ask, reflecting on the story you just told, like, what's one or two things that you've learned personally that has made you stronger as a man and as a husband and father? Yeah, I think some of those things would be just recognition of where I'm weak. So what my go-to move is, like I mentioned before, is hiding my sin and not asking for help. That's never going to go anywhere good. I think another thing that we've learned collectively, and you can see this in scripture in Romans 5, it says perseverance develops character and character develops hope. 
I think the development of our character is something that we need to take seriously, particularly in marriage. Because if we don't, if we don't attend to our own character, then we will we'll compromise on all sorts of things. And the only way to, if you're going to get through anything hard, you have to persevere. And what's so great about when you do that, it is the thing that is developing your character. And that is the thing that actually develops hope in your life. You can you can be suffering, you can be going through really hard things in your marriage, in your family, in your work environment, in the just in the world. But you can have this hope that's rooted in something greater because of the things that when you turn look in the rearview mirror and oh, God was developing me through perseverance, through this suffering, my character's been developed. I'm not the person I was yesterday or the day before or seven years ago or 16 years ago or 23 years ago, however long, long it's been since Aaron and I started dating, whatever, whatever that number it is. And that gives you hope for a future. And then I think the third thing is it's often helpful to rally around a word or uh, a commitment of some kind. And for a lot of people, their marriage commitment is enough, which is fantastic. I wish that was the case for me, but for us, it was this word choose. And so each day we choose to believe the best about the other person, choose to re-engage our marriage when it's not going great, choose to even engage my wife in ways that I know she needs, but I feel like she shouldn't expect. Does that make sense? Absolutely. If you have an example. Yeah, so my wife, just in in relationships, needs to be pursued. She's so good at getting things done that she'll just default to getting her to-do list done or managing our family or her work, or she'll just go and go. And she's providing for us and she's loving us in the midst of it. But what can get lost is this other piece of uh, greater relationship. And so that's where my responsibility to pursue her in our relationship comes in. When I think, oh man, I wish she would act this way towards me. Be like, oh no, I can choose to pursue her instead of just expecting her to treat me this way or pursue me, whatever. Gotcha. What does pursuit look like in that, or an example of pursuit for anyone? Yeah, sometimes it means dating your spouse. Sometimes it just means putting your own day aside and engaging in their, whether good, bad, or ugly, finding moments in the day to just have time, just the two of you, even if it's only for 10 minutes to, to hear each other's heart or to share w- what's going on inside your own life and in your own head. I think you can, I think you can pursue and still be the one talking, but it's a choice to engage the other person in a way that is unique to your marriage. That's going to solidify who you are as a couple. And, and the commitments that you've made to each other. That's good. That's good, man. I think I'm in a season right now where I am for using that word choosing to, to do that with mm-hmm. and for my wife. I recognized that I was lacking in it. And it wasn't only for her words because there's sometimes that there are things going on that your wife might not be telling you. And then on the other end, there, there might be a result that you're getting, an unfavorable result that you're getting. And in my situation, my wife didn't necessarily know why. I needed to take it upon myself to try and figure out what was lacking. And for us, that was one of the major things is that I lost that attitude of pursuit. I was Mm -hmm. just getting on with my day-to-day outside of the house. And then when I was coming home, I was just letting life. And I think that's majorly where you start to lose that aspect of engagement with your wife. And I don't want to say, especially with the last episode, making her happy, making her feel that she's desired by you. Mm -hmm. And so now I find myself actively trying to think of things that I can do for her. One of the major things that she was able to say to me was that she needed me to be more of a planner for things for the family, for like things for us to do. Mm -hmm. So I try to keep that in mind. But then also, guys, the little things, doing the dishes, washing the baby's bottles, a lot of the things that most, I don't want to say this in that manner. I would say a lot of husbands <laughs> just expect their wives should do or should have done like pitch in. And especially when you want those actions and feelings to be reciprocal, pitch in because it helps. Yeah. Everybody wants to be valued and people receive value in different way, but certainly being served, you're ne- like, if you're going to serve your spouse, you are naturally showing them I have value for you. And it 
may not seem like it at the time. Like that might be like a big grand thought when you're tired and you have dishes to put away or whatever, but that's what you're communicating. I value you so much. I'm going to put what I want to do aside and do something to benefit you and our family. Yeah. Paul's just sitting over here shaking his head. Yeah, this is crazy. I just had uh, one, probably not one question, but so how do you, I know we've talked before about your growth in your marriage, but how do you, or how has your, how have your actions in marriage changed when it comes to disagreements or even fights? Like, how have you guys progressed in that space? Yeah, when we were first, like I said, we come from two families that are very committed to each other, but have their own ways of fighting, have their own emotional health or unhealth. And so when we got married, I had to realize that the way Erin fights is that she yells a lot, but it's not connected to emotion as much as, and I came from a family that was like, they didn't have public hard conversations. My parents didn't have a lot of arguments in front of us. And all of a sudden my wife is yelling at me and I'm like, I want to yell back, but I don't, this hurts. You're hurting my feelings. And I, and I'm not emotionally healthy to even express that. So now I'm just angry. I, I think, and so obviously that has developed. It's not that now we just yell at each other and we're okay with it. <laughs> there is some bit of that where we are, we know that we're now committed to each other. And so there can be more lively back and forth. If you want to put those really nice words, lively discussions, we do let our kids see us disagree more than what I was modeled, what was modeled for me. But I think we have uh, kind of an understanding that we, well, we made some rules for ourselves. We don't have real serious conversations after 10 o'clock at night. Nothing good happens at that point. Now, if there's something between us, yeah, we'll take care of it. But if, if there's something that's going to cause stress, we, we don't, we just leave it for the next day. We have, but I, I think it's all undergirded by this commitment to each other where we say, are we good? Like we, we check in on each other. Like when we're sideways, are we okay? And sometimes, yeah, we're fine. You know, and it just takes some time to decompress and whatever. But I think we know we're committed to each other more so than we ever have been. And so there's some freedom in, okay, we can disagree, we can fight, we can be sideways, we can be frustrated and still communicate in our frustration that we're actually not frustrated with each other. We're just frustrated with the kids separately or, mm -hmm. or frustrated with life or whatever stressful situation it is. And at the end of the day, it comes back to, are we on the same team? We still are. Okay. We'll go from there. That's amazing. I know we all we always talk about here on the podcast, like it's not two people becoming one. Or it's not one person trying to win. Mm. It's what we're trying to win in our marriage. So we're yeah. trying to figure out the best solution between the two of us. What's how do we compromise to do the best for what our marriage is? Yeah. So I think that's an amazing demonstration of how that works and it's not always clean and it's not always defined but i think you guys walking through your life walking through your counseling collectively and individually you can now identify like i'm not mad at you mm -hmm. you know what i mean like i'm still working through when i'm frustrated mm -hmm. letting either my kids or my wife know what I'm frustrated about or who I'm frustrated with. So I currently still struggle with that. I'm a lot better than what it was <laughs> than, I, than I have been. But and I think it's more once my daughter came, like my wife was like, you can't just be frustrated and then take it out on us <laughs> or take she's too small and you don't want right. to teach her that. And that really hit me hard. So I'm working through that. That's just a great example. And this is true of every relationship, not just marriage, but certainly in marriage. Humility goes a long way. You may yeah, think you're all that, and you might be, but humility will still get you further in any relationship. So you go with that. And, but it's not fun to, to be humbled. It's not fun to put on humility when you're in an argument. But are you fighting to win for yourself? Are you fighting to be right? There's something that we say to our kids a lot when they're really going at each other, and it's kindness is more important than being correct. And for, you, you could put a couple different words to that. Kindness is better than being right. It's just this humility and deference that is so needed in relationships can get you so much further than if you're going to fight for being right against 
your spouse or against anybody else. Yeah, we, we call it being in our family being dead so right, <laughs> but you're killing everything around right. you because you want to be so. Yeah, but I like that kindness is definitely more important than your rightness, especially within your family unit for sure. I think I'm gonna start using that. I might try to change it a little bit. The word, the wording, maybe the kindness feels better than being right. I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna I think I'm gonna play with that a little bit. Does kindness feel better than being right? Not always. Never. It never <laughs> feels that way. But it is. It's, be- it's better. Usually, if you feel like you want to be right, kindness is nowhere in the picture. <laughs> but yeah, you got anything else? No. Any parting words? We'll have you say parting words. But before the parting words, I just want to say thank you uh, for sharing. We appreciate just that trust and vulnerability. And I know you've told the story before because obviously that's your life. But we appreciate that you just opened up with us. And we, I can speak for Brian and say when we start having wives on the podcast, we got to have you guys back on because I'm sure she's got some wisdom and experiential knowledge to what uh, to drop on everybody so she's the real mvp man like i still haven't seen her since you told me but i'm gonna high five the mess out of her life yeah. you're awesome <laughs> but uh, yeah yeah thank you for that yeah i also want to thank you man this is exactly the reason that we wanted to create this space to have conversations like this talk about real stuff and mm-hmm. make it relatable to the people who are listening and let them know that they're not alone in whatever it is that they've gone through and especially like yourself, give them an, an example of recovery from, you know, mm-hmm. the heart. I definitely appreciate you sharing your story and being you know, willing to be as open as you have been. So thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. And I, I appreciate you guys having me on. This is fun. And it's as for real as our story is, it is a real story and it is fun to tell it because we're on this side of some of it. We're still in the middle of it. I think Brian, what you just said about folks are not alone that is legit whether you feel alone or not you are not alone and you can do hard things you can and you can persevere and if you do it you're going to find out that there is better stuff on the other side and it may not just be for your own pleasure it may be so that you come on somebody else's podcast and tell them they have they can do it they can do the hard thing they're going through and give them just a little bit of glimpse of what god can do in people's lives It's good stuff. Thanks for listening. If you got any value out of this episode, we'd like to invite you to rate, follow, and review on your favorite podcast platform. If you would like to be a guest or want to have your questions answered, hit us up on our website, marriageistougher.com, or follow us on Facebook, searching Marriage is Tougher Than Woodpecker Lips. Thanks again. This is Paul. And this is Brian. We will talk to you next time.